treasures in heaven. So we're going to talk about stored up. And this whole series, and I want you to just hold on tight, is going to be about money. Leading up to our first fruits offering on March 20th. I pray you're praying about that. I pray you're preparing and planning to give the best offering to the Lord that day that you can. Uh, let me interrupt your cynical and carnal thinking for a moment. The church does not ask you to give. Nor does the church require you to give. God, that makes it a little bit more terrorsome. Because God requires giving from his people. So when we get up here and talk about offering, when I talk about money, when we talk about the first fruits offering, I'm not getting up here talking about it because I want to. I'm, we're doing a first fruits offering because the Holy Spirit told us to do that. And I believe that some of your bodies are going to be healed when you sacrifice with your finances. I believe that financial need that you have, God's going to meet it when you give. Okay, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But I believe that one of the root causes for a lack of generosity in the church are two things. Number one, worry, and number two, greed. Worry and greed. We're going to deal with both of those today and give you the answer to both of those today. So to give a little bit of context to Matthew chapter 6 where we just read, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan beyond Bethabara. He comes up out of the water. The Spirit of God like a dove comes on him and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He goes into the wilderness. You've got to read your Bible because the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness, not the devil. The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Uh, remember last week, the valley? Sometimes it's not the devil driving us to the valley. It's God. And, and, and so he goes to the wilderness, he's there for 40 days, he is praying, he is fasting, he is tempted by the devil. The Bible said he comes out of the wilderness in power and he calls to himself his 12 disciples. He does miracles and calls his 12 disciples to him. And then in chapter 5, we come to this place that if you've been in church long enough, you know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, I would like to give you a subsequent title to this sermon. I would like to call it the Laws of the Kingdom. Because up to this point, the disciples and the earth had been living under the law of the Old Testament. Jesus comes in Matthew 5 and he begins to lay a new law, the law of the kingdom. He goes through things. He goes through what we know as the Beatitudes. Uh, but before, we get, before he gets to the Beatitudes in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, In seeing the multitudes, he went up a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Let me give you a principle here. I'm going to keep saying it till you get it. The closer you are to him, the more accountable you are to him. Jesus saw the crowd. He went a little bit further up on the hill and the disciples came and sat down with him. The closer you are to the teacher, the more accountable you are to the lesson. There are three groups of people in the book of Mark. There's the Pharisees, there's the crowd, and there's the disciples. 
Jesus went and did miracles and the Pharisees mocked him. The Pharisees didn't like him. They, they thought he was there to tear down their system and, and to, uh, and to an, uh, annihilate the law. They didn't like him. They spoke against everything he did. The crowd came and they loved Jesus. They were amazed by the things he did, but they didn't follow him. And the disciples came and they were a little rough on the edges and they asked a lot of stupid questions. But wherever he went, they followed him. You've got to make a decision what part of the crowd you're going to fit in. Are you going to be the Pharisee that's constantly pointing out everything that's going wrong and everything that you think is wrong? Are you going to be a part of the crowd that watches Jesus do stuff and say, Thank you, Jesus, but then go live like the devil Monday through Saturday? Or are you going to be a disciple that sees what he does and echoes the words of Peter in John chapter 6 when Jesus said, Are you going to? And Peter said, Where else can we go? You've got to make a decision because the closer you are to him, the more accountable you are to him. So he begins this sermon on the mount, the laws of the kingdom, and he begins to talk about the beatitudes. He talks about the believers being salt and light. He talks about how murder and adultery begin in the heart. He speaks of marriage. He talks of going the second mile for the people that misuse you and mistreat you. Then in chapter 6, he talks about serving. He talks about praying. He talks about fasting. And then he says, lay up treasures, not in earth where moth and dust can corrupt, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then we come to our text. Matthew 6, 24. And right in between our theme text for our series and this text is two verses that the lamp is the light of the body, or the eye is the light of the body. And if the eye is not healthy, the body cannot be healthy. A lot of what we're going to talk about today has, with what, has to do with what you see. Well, then we come to the text we're starting at. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So one of the principles of this kingdom that Jesus came preaching is that there can only be one God. This cannot be a multi-God kingdom. There is one God and he is Jehovah. Isaiah 44 and 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last and beside me, there is no God. What's he saying? I'm the first, I'm the last, and there is no other God on my level. Oh, there are other gods, little g. But there is no other God on his level. He didn't say there's no other gods beneath me. He said there's no other God beside me. There's no other God on the level that I am. So you can have a lot of other gods, but they're just idols. But there's only one God who's on the level that he is, and it's him. Okay. Isaiah 43, 11, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So any other God in this kingdom is an idol, and every idol is in line for judgment. Every time God judged Israel, 
it was mainly because of their disobedience and their idolatry. So if you're serving, I'm going to try to keep this in the text today, but it could apply everywhere. So if your master is money, you're going to struggle with money because God won't bless where there's another God. He won't bless a dominion where another God has authority. There's one God. This one God has one purpose. Now I've talked to you about this a little bit ago, but I want to hit on it again because I think it's so important that there is a difference between purpose and assignment. The purpose for my life is to be with Him, to become like Him, and to advance His kingdom through the assignment that He's called me to. Preaching is not my purpose. Pastoring is not my purpose. Being a husband, being a father, that's not my purpose. Those are assignments that I've been given from spending time with him and hearing him say, this is what I want you to do. This is what I've called you to be. And that is how I advance the kingdom. The problem is, when preaching becomes my purpose, I am lacking in every area of my life. Because guess what? If I preach a sour message, I'm going to be down about it for days. If it's my purpose. But if he is my purpose, and this is just my assignment, I am steadfast in knowing I could preach the worst message in the world and, and feel the worst about it in the world, but he still loves me. He still cares for me. I'm still his son. Y'all with me? The problem in our society is that we, I shouldn't say society, the problem in the church is that we have taught there's many purposes. There's only one purpose. There's only one will, and to teach any other will is, is treason. Come on now. It's treason. And, and, and can I tell you, there are going to be many people whose assignment, listen to me, there's going to be many people whose assignment became their God, and they're going to miss heaven because of it. Preaching became their God. Leading became their God. Singing became their God. Doing ministry became their God. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22, there's going to be people who will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we lead in your name? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's real easy to hear that in church and be like, yeah. Think of the multitudes of people who have preached, who have received miracles, who have been the beneficiaries of his goodness, and he's going to have to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I would submit to you that in terms of eternity, it is far more important to be known by him than to know him. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. So I can say, I know all about him, but the question is, does he know me? 
Of course he knows me. He knows my, but, but am I spending the time with him? Am I laying down my life for his gospel? Am I obeying him? Jesus said, they that love me obey my commands. I know we celebrated baptism and we celebrated de- baby dedication. And here's this dude that's going to get up here and preach this message. But the problem is, is that your assignment is not your God. Preaching is not my God. And there was a space in time where it absolutely was. I could be vulnerable. I lived to preach. I lived for preaching to people in the crowd. And you know what broke that idol? COVID broke that idol. Well, God did it, but he did it through COVID. Because for two straight months, guess what I had to do? I had to preach to a camera. Nobody in the room. Nobody saying amen. Maybe two other people. Nobody shouting back at me. Nobody helping me preach. Me and the camera. And you know in that season what it came back to? I'm not doing this for you. I do it for an audience of one. But my assignment had become my idol. And God used COVID to break it off of me. Because my purpose is not to preach. My purpose is to be with him. Be transformed into his image. So this one God has one purpose. So when you hear people say, oh, you need to go chase after your calling. No! You need to run from that doctrine as fast as you can. Chase after Jesus and he will lead you into your assignment. He will lead you into your destiny. He is your destiny. He is your highest calling. He is your highest reward. So he said you can't serve two masters. Because two masters speaks to double mindedness. James 1 and 8 said a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Every one of them is unstable. And you will take on the qualities of what you worship. Because what you worship, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. What you worship, you've got to look at. And if I'm constantly looking at money and worshiping money, then I'm going to take on the qualities of people who are greedy and who worry. You'll take on the qualities of who you worship. So so the question becomes, who are you going to serve? Will you serve God or will you serve money? God is a generous God. Thank you to the three people that said amen. I said God is a generous God. That he gave his own son. Mm. And we are called to be generous people. Mm. I knew I'd lose some amens in that part. We're called to be generous people. I'm generous with my time. No, the Bible said we're supposed to be generous with our money. With our finances. And with our time. And with our life. But, but if you serve money, your only thoughts will be thoughts of evil. First Timothy 6, 9. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This word strayed means to mislead, to cause wrong views or to wander away from the truth. Let me say this up front and just set the tone for this whole series. It's okay to have money. Money can't have you. You know, I, when I, whenever I read that scripture, I think of people in Hollywood. I think of, 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 of athletes on football teams. I think of, of millionaires, business owners who are multi-billionaires. And how many of them, based on the fruit of their life, are going to die and be separated from God for eternity. And no amount of billions can save them. No amount of billion dollars can save They can't go to God's throne and here's all my money and God's going to let them into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. And they pierce themselves through. How many athletes, movie stars have committed suicide? Rich as can be, but miserable. Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Bible does not say that money is the root of evil. The love of money is the root of evil. And with it, many pierce themselves with sorrows. Y'all with me? And, and the worst thing that happens is not that they pierce themselves with sorrows, but they are strayed away from the truth. Hmm. At the root of serving money is the root of worry, number one. Jesus continues in his message that we just started saying, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is, li is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I want you to think about this. From your life perspective, are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worry, can add one cubit to his stature? If I was being honest, if that was a thing, I'd be like 10 feet tall. And some of you would be taller. Don't, don't laugh at me when you know it's the truth. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like them. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not? Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek. What's he saying? Now in that time, the word Jesus uh, the, the, the message was primarily to the Jews. There wasn't salvation had not come to the Jews. So Jesus is saying to them that the Gentiles are, are lost. They're lost people. It stayed that way until uh, it stayed that way through Jesus' time. He ministered to them. But then in the book of Acts, the Gentiles were called into the faith. Y'all with me? So he's saying people that don't know who I am as the Messiah think this way. Let me make it real plain. People who are in sin and lost 
think this way, but people who know him ought not to think like this. For after all these things the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows what you have need, that you, have, that you need all these things. This word worry in this scripture means to be anxious, to have anxiety about something. Can I tell you what worry will cause you to do? Worry will cause you to gain as many material possessions as you can but for means of protection. Well, if I've got this much in the savings account, I can have peace. That's an idol. You're serving money. Is it good to save up? Yes. But your faith can't be in your savings account. If I lose the savings account tomorrow, it's going to be all right. I'm going to say something. I, I want you all to keep amening me. But just because you amen me doesn't mean you're going to apply this to your life. You've got to make a decision today. Thank you. You've got to make a decision today to apply this to your life. So, so worry... Will, will, will cause us to, to stack up material possessions in an unhealthy and an idolatrous way. Jesus says, don't worry. Why? He said, if God takes care of the lilies and the sparrows, how much more will he take care of you? Your heavenly father knows what you need. Do you know what worry is connected to? Worry is connected to our identity. Worry is connected to how we view ourselves. God is saying to these disciples, your father, not my father, your father in heaven will provide what you need. But if I am constantly, see that word father is indicative that there's a son or a daughter somewhere. If Jesus is saying father, then somewhere there's a son or daughter. And Jesus said your father, which means I'm the son. So I've got to stop looking at God through the lens of an orphan and start looking at him through the lens of a good father. Come on now. My wife and I, we are licensed foster care parents. Licensed foster parents. And when we were going through the training, they would tell these heart-wrenching stories of kids who would be in their rooms and they'd go in their rooms and under their bed was just food. Just stacked up under their beds. And they would tell the, 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 the people who were going through the training that kids do this because some of them have been in environments and houses where they don't have food to eat. So they get what they can and they save it. I mean, we're talking about stale crackers, moldy cheese. I mean, you name it, it's under these beds because these kids have been in traumatic situations. And I begin to liken that to our relationship with God is that when we don't trust God as Father, we begin to treat Him like we're an orphan. So we get all these possessions because we're just, we've been through trauma and we've been through pain and we've been through loss. And so we get all this and we hoard it. And Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasure where mold and dust and rust can get to it. So we do that. Why do we do that? Because we're not convinced that we are his sons and daughters. And he's not like your father. I had the best mom and dad growing up. The best. 
But he's not like my mom and dad. He's better. He's better than them. So, so take your father's situation out of your mind. Think of the best father that you would have wanted in your life and then go beyond that. That's where he's at. And when I worry, what I'm telling God is, I don't trust you. Oh, some of y'all didn't like that because you deal with worry. You struggle with worry. And you don't want to tell God that, but that's what you're telling him. I don't trust you. Oh, it's going to get better. It's all right. Sons and daughters, the second powerful tool the enemy has as it pertains to money is greed. So you've got worry that causes you to store up for protection, and then you've got greed that causes you to store up for notoriety. Ooh, y'all ain't going to like this gospel. That causes us to store it up because the more we've got, the more people will love us. The more we've got, the more people will notice us. You know what that comes back to? Identity. I'm a son. I don't care what you think about me. I know what he thinks about me. I'm the beloved of Christ. I could give a rip less what you think about me. I know that he calls me his beloved. He sent his son to die for me so that I could be seen in the same way that he sees his son. The American dream has become the living nightmare for believers. Get all you can. Become all you can. Get as rich as you can. Live your best life. And that is such the antithesis to the gospel. Live your best life. Get as much money as you can. Jesus said, he that seeks to save his life will lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake will save it. But we've got this greed that creeps in. The devil don't like this preaching. I can feel it in the atmosphere. Greed creeps in. And, he's, and the devil starts whispering to you, look at Sister Sally next door. You don't have as much as she's got. Look at Brother Jojo across the street. Your house doesn't look like his. Your car isn't as nice as his. And now you're living a life of comparison because you're greedy. And greed comes from a lack of integrity. So you don't pay your taxes because you have a lack of integrity. Uh-oh. Because you've got a lack of integrity. You don't tithe because you're greedy. And you're not robbing the church. You're robbing God. You don't pay money back that you said you were going to pay back because you lack integrity. Because you've got greed. Greed. Uh, Proverbs 28, 25. A greedy man stirs up strife. But the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So how do we cease from worry and greed? Jesus gives us the answer. He goes all through, why do you worry? Aren't you more valuable? Then he comes to verse 33, and we quote this all the time. Jesus, in context, is speaking specifically about money and life. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The word seek here means to learn about, to obtain. The kingdom is something that can be obtained. 
or desire. So in a world where inflation, I believe I saw it yesterday, is at 7.5% higher over the course of the last 12 months. Inflation is sky high. We are on the brink. We could go to World War III, economic disaster, by the time tomorrow comes. I mean, it feels that close. And Jesus did not say, save up money. Jesus did not say, store up an obscene amount of food. Now listen to me. We may have some preppers in the room. That's all right. The Bible said a wise man sees a storm coming and prepares. It matters where your faith lies. If your faith isn't all that food you're storing up, that food ain't going to save you. If, if your faith is in that money sitting in the savings account, that money ain't going to save you. Come on now. A wise man sees a storm coming and he begins to prepare. Jesus knew all these things and his answer was not save but seek. His answer was not save yourself, it was seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And you know what? Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he knew that this time, when he was saying these words to his disciples, he knew that the time we're living in would be here. He knew that if his father didn't send him back, we would be in this time. He also knew that there would come a time where men could not buy or sell unless they took the mark. Yeah, we're going to go all the way into eschatology today too. He knew all of that and he still said, seek Ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. And guess what? God knows how to get things to his children. He knew. This kingdom, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. Somebody shout righteousness. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when I seek the kingdom, righteousness is mine, peace is my portion, and joy is my portion. Now there are others, but money seems to attack these three things. Money comes after your righteousness, money comes after your peace, and when you don't have a lot of it, money comes after your joy. Comes after your joy. Uh, righteousness. Jesus, number one, purchased my righteousness on the cross. There is no amount of money that I can have that makes me righteous. There is no amount of generosity that I can take part in that makes me righteous. Jesus makes me righteous by his blood. His sacrifice on the cross made me righteous. Proverbs 15, 9, the Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. This word means to follow after quickly, to chase, to aim, or eagerly secure. Proverbs 21, 21, he who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. So the pursuit of righteousness, not happiness, the pursuit of righteousness leads to life. Come on, it leads to life. Then peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. And I'm called to pursue and seek peace. Blessed, Matthew 5 and 9 said, are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. 
the peacemakers. Oh, there are some things in life that don't need to be ignored. They need to be confronted. You say, well, I don't want to stir things up. You're being a peacemaker. Come on. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue holiness with, pursue people with, uh, hold on a second. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Holiness is still right. Without which no one will see the Lord. Not just peace with others, but I can have peace in my life. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Isaiah 26.3, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on his money. What? Whose mind is stayed on his savings account. Whose mind is stayed on his investments. That's not what the Bible said. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. I love how Paul writes to the church and he says, let the peace of Christ. Which means it's a decision on my part to allow the peace of Christ to rule my heart. Then he said, the kingdom is joy. Everybody shout joy. That was lame. Sounded very unjoyful. Shout joy. Not happiness. Joy. There are days I'm not happy. But if I'm full of the Holy Ghost and living in a righteous lifestyle, there should never be a day I don't have joy. You know why? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of my lifestyle. I've got joy when I'm down. I've got joy when I'm up. I've got joy when the bank account has a lot of zeros without numbers in front of them in it. I've got joy. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got joy. And if they don't look like they have joy, I'm not, never mind. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. So, so Jesus is saying, you've got to pursue the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. You've got to get in line. Stop looking for all the things that the lost people are looking for. You belong to a different economy. You belong to a different financial system. You belong to a different creditor. His name is Jesus. So act like it. Then we find the preeminence of his kingdom. Matthew 6.33, he said, seek first. His kingdom must be the first thing we seek because there is fulfillment in his kingdom. Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things, he may have the preeminence. Look at your neighbor and tell him he's got to be first. He's got to be first. This word preeminence, it means to have first place or to be supreme. If you've been to this church for any length of time, over the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you have heard my father tell you, 
He must be first. He must be seen as the first in the head of our lives. He is the head of the church. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ. Colossians 2.18, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with increase that is from God. He's got to be first in everything. That includes your money. First. That's why we tithe. That's why we give. That's why we're going to do the first fruit offering. He's got to be first. See, because a lot of believers, they come to Christ and say, you can have this, but you can't have this. Oh, you can have my sin. I don't want my sin anymore. Who wants sin? But my trauma? No, I'm going to keep that. My money? You certainly can't have that. Because the, the systems of the world are so anti the systems of the kingdom that many of us would have to do a complete makeover of our finances in order to match kingdom finances. I know it's heavy. He wants to be Lord over your money. And he doesn't want you to be a slave to your money. Come on. We are servants to one God. He, want, he needs to be first in your money. He wants to be first in your week. Why we have church on the first day of the week. He wants to be first in your marriage, not your husband, not your wife. He's the head. He wants to be first in your children. He wants to be first in your work. One of the things that we struggle with with our children is what I said earlier at dedication is we struggle to let go. You can't be God in their life because you become an idol. And what did I tell you earlier? Idols are in line for judgment. You've got to let God be first in your children's life. He must be first, he must be first, and he must get the best. God doesn't deserve my leftovers. He deserves my best. And not, not just first, but all. Somebody say all. All. Luke 14, 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear up his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't want you to go home and look at your wife and say, I hate you. That'll get you in trouble. That's not the word of God, nor is it the will of God. This word hate means to love less. That was the connotation that this word carried throughout the entire Old Testament. Was when they would use the word in the Hebrew and the Greek, the Jews here for hate, they were saying, I love you less than. If any man come to me and does not love me more than his father, mother, sister, brother, church, money, wife, husband, come on now. He can't be my disciple. Jesus is clear that the work of the kingdom supersedes all other works. 
his person precedes all other loves. Uh, Luke 14, 33, so likewise, whoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot. I'm getting ready to close. He cannot be my disciple. So we have the principles of the kingdom. We've got the pursuit of his kingdom. We have the preeminence of his kingdom. And then lastly, we have the provision of his kingdom. God knows how to get to me what I need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What does he mean by all these things? Okay, well, you've got to read the verse in context. He means your clothing, your food, your money, your provision, your life. All of these things will be added to you. And when I seek him in his kingdom, he always provides for those who are his. Think about Abraham taking his son Isaac out of obedience up a mountain. And and Abraham's getting ready to kill his son the way that God told him to do it. And the angel of the Lord stayed his hand and he said, now I know you can be trusted. And Abraham, the Bible said, turned around and there was a ram caught in the thicket for the sacrifice. I think about Elisha, the prophet in the drought who was in the valley. And the Bible said that ravens would come and feed him. serve that same God I'm just crazy enough to believe that God could use the modern day ravens called DoorDash <laughs> to feed me I'm that crazy I'm crazy enough to believe that if I need money, there might be a day that I'm in need and I've been there that I could open up my bank account and out of nowhere there's money there that wasn't there before. I'm that crazy. I've seen it happen and I know there's people in here that have had it happen. He knows how to provide. So why shouldn't I worry? He's got everything I need. And he knows how to give it to me. So some of you need to go home, lay hand, open up your bank account on your computer, open up your bank account on your phone, lay hands on that thing and say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm done worrying about it. I'm done doing it my way. It's yours. Well, my wife and I, in, in 2012, in May of 2012, the Lord called us to Lebanon, Ohio to go be youth pastors. We weren't married yet. I went first. We got married in July. She came down. And it was nobody's fault. Nobody's fault. The church just could not afford a lot of salaries, afford a lot of money. And I was doing two jobs. I was the youth pastor and the worship pastor. It was probably illegal how much they were physically paying me. And thankfully there was a man in the church named Rex Johnson, amazing man of God, who let us live in one of his rentals. And... So, long story short, I wasn't making a lot of money. My wife was working together. We weren't making a lot of money. And there was one time 
I remember just because, you know, we were, I was young and dumb. She was young and brilliant. But we were newly married. Here, my brownie point tracker out. We were, I was young and dumb. She was young and brilliant. And, and we had just kind of got into a little bit of debt. And there, it was just bills, was just different bills that had piled up that were due at the end of the month. And we got there. We didn't have enough money. We were, we were going to have to really strap, really scratch to make sure we made it. And I'll never forget, it was on a Sunday morning. I was sitting on the front row of Cornerstone Church of God. And one of the elders, the Spirit of the Lord was moving, and one of the elders grabbed the microphone and he said, I just feel like we're supposed to take a pastor's offering. And I said, okay. Now, I wasn't the pastor, so I was like, okay. And it was for our lead pastor at the time. And God spoke to me, and I looked at my wife, and I, I don't, you know, I don't even know if we had this, we may have had this much, just a little bit more in the bank. I looked at her, and I said, write a $150 check. I said, I don't, I know we don't have a lot, but I just heard the Holy Ghost tell me to give this man $150. She did it. We gave. And two days go by now I'm, I'm talking this is the type of situation that I thought there'd be a time that my pastor would call me in his office and say I can't pay you today I can't give you your paycheck this week and you know what that was okay I wasn't doing it for the money God called me there he called me in his office on a Tuesday morning he said I want you to come here I meet him he hands me my check and I thought oh it's going to be less he said, I want you to hold on to that. I'm going to tell you, while they were taking that pastor's offering on Sunday, he said, five men came to me and said, we want to give to Pastor Michael and Damaris. And each one of them gave them money that didn't just equal what we owed in bills. It tripled what we owed in bills. And so we paid the bills and then we sold more seed. I tell you this. Because we didn't have a lot. We didn't, we, we were young, married. We were still struggling through that first year of marriage. We were still struggling through getting on the same page financially. But when you trust Him, when you seek His kingdom, when you walk in obedience, He will not let you go without what you need. No matter how big or how small, we could have made it. It would have taken a lot of work, but God knows how to give into the hands of his sons and daughters. Stand on your feet all over the room. And today, this moment right here, the start of this brand new series, I believe God wanted me to come up here and, and deal with worry and deal with greed. Oh, inflation is 7.5% is and, and, and it costs, you know, $200 worth of groceries today is, is, is minimal compared to what it was last year. And, and I just, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know. Here's what we're going to do. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Yes, things cost money. I'm not, I, 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 I don't live according to the laws of Wall Street. I don't live according to the laws of the market. I live according to the laws of the kingdom. 
in the law of the kingdom is do not worry about your life seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you every head bowed every eye closed here I've